Hello and welcome to Finance Conversations. This is the 25th episode of the Merging Life and Money Show, and I am super excited to be here with you. For those of you who do not know me, I am your host, Marie-Jo César. I help professional women acquire and apply the relevant financial skills and knowledge they need to take control of their money, manage their finances, and understand that they can live their best life with the money they have. Thank you for joining in today. If you are watching the replay, make sure to type hashtag replay in the chat and leave me some comments and questions. Welcome, welcome, and welcome. I come to you live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to share valuable information about how to achieve financial wellness and live your life with means and meaning. Today's show is the 11th episode of a new series titled The Scoop on Women and Money. I will be sharing facts and trends resulting from research and surveys related to women's growing economic power. So grab a pen and a notebook as you might want to take some notes to discuss them further with family members, friends, colleagues, whomever you want, because it is about sharing values that could benefit others. So if you have any comments or questions, make sure to put them in the chat. And if you want to talk to me directly, I will share my contact information a little later in the show. So as you know, the main objective of the merging life and money show and my very strong why, W-H-I, is to empower what did I say? W-H-Y is to empower as many women as possible with what I know about money and finance. So today I will focus on three points and they are women, uh, are they the real driver of the global economy? Um, the benefits of women economic empowerment and I will also talk about COVID-19 and its economic toll on women. So to give today's show some context, let me say that I will be sharing some facts and trends that relate to the role that women play in the global economy. Those facts and trends are the result of surveys conducted by a number of reputable financial entities in 11 countries with the largest stock markets, okay? The surveys examined primarily aspect of financial preparedness and investment behavior. They reveal interesting insight about cultural and economic factors representing women's realities. So let us begin. So statistics show that the financial future is in the hands of women as they are increasingly becoming a market force with the power to shape economic trends worldwide. When women are active participants in the workforce, they have more money to invest, which generate a measurable uh, market impact. So with an increase in the American female labor force, 
participation alone. A recent um, SNP Standard and Poor's global research shows that the acceleration to the US GDP growth could add 5.87 trillion to global market capitalization over the next 10 years. That's just a potential impact on the increased participation of women in the US. The question is, what could the implications be when considering female financial empowerment on a global, on an, on an, on an international scale? So according to Boston Consulting Group, women's global wealth is increasing and could reach 72 trillion with a T worldwide by the early 2020s. In light of this, it is critically important to consider the approach women take to their finances and the issues they care about most. Women must understand how money works and use it to build their best life yet. In order to understand the unique experiences and concerns of women, the S&P Global Survey was conducted in 11 countries with the largest stock markets, and the survey examined aspects of financial preparedness, as I said, investment behaviors, and impression of the stock market between men and women in an attempt to reveal interesting insights about cultural and economic factors representing women's realities. Um, the survey highlighted the ways in which women are often less financially secure and less optimistic about their economic future. So the research also captured perspective from the US, from the UK, Germany, Switzerland, Canada, Australia, France, South Korea, China, and um, India, and I believe Japan. So one th thing um, these markets have in common is a quantifiable gender discrepancy with men having a greater overall economic advantage over women. Um, funnily enough, Switzerland, Australia, France, Germany, I believe in the US, have the greatest gender discrepancy where the share of women in poor financial shape is 10 to 18 points higher than men. Asia, believe it or not, was a bright spot in this dim picture as South Korea, India, and Chinese women are just as likely to feel fiscally prepared as their male counterparts, Asia, that is. It is perhaps not surprising then that women were broadly found to be more wary of markets than their male counterparts. And a surprisingly high percentage of women in almost all countries said that if they found themselves without work, they would only be able to sustain their current standards of living for a short time. This indicates the lack of emergency funding. 
In 10 of the countries surveyed, anywhere from 32 to 45% of women said that they would have to make some lifestyle adjustments with, within immediate, I mean, immediately if they were suddenly unemployed or unable to work. So the lone exception being China, where only 16% of women said they would have to do so. Um, they would have to do so. So in every case but one, the percentages were significantly higher among women than men. So the survey also revealed that in the US, the world's largest economy, women hold an estimated 42% of wealth. Yet, a clear majority are pessimistic about their personal finances. Three in five American women rate their current financial situation as fair at best, with more than one in five saying they are in poor shape. The same goes for women in Canada. Okay, you heard what I said. They hold an estimated 42% of the wealth. Yet again, they feel that way. Sadly, the picture is even bleaker for millennial women across America, North America, I should say, with more than two-thirds of the respondents saying they were in poor or fair shape financially. This helps to explain why only 26% of U.S. women invest directly in the financial markets or through mutual funds, despite 41% saying that now would be a good time to do so. So what is holding women back? So despite the facts revealed by the um, uh, Standard & Poor's Global uh, Survey, women are definitely in control because they are influencing most household purchasing decisions, including where to bank and to invest. They control globally 72 trillion and make 80% of the buying decisions. So women are also smart wealth accumulators as they create and control more of their own wealth. Okay, so they own about 36% of the global wealth and 42% of that uh, 36% or it comes from their own salary. Okay, so no investment there um, too much, right? And women also grow their wealth at a rate of 8.1% compared to 5.8% for men. And it is predicted that by 2060, women stand to inherit about 28.7 trillion in intergenerational wealth. Uh, this is as a factor of living longer than men and they stand to inherit uh, some wealth there. As mentioned in the show description, uh, today's show's description, women are getting down to business, okay? They are starting and growing businesses at significant rate. 34% of businesses worldwide are owned by women, and there has been an increase in entrepreneurship rates of 10% over the last two years. 
So what are really the growth drivers? I identified a few, three I would say, education, employment, and the lifespan. So talking education, the female economy will continue to accelerate as women across the full spectrum pursue education and higher paying careers. Uh, as far as employment is concerned, the number of women in the global workforce grew 200% between 1980 and 2008, according to Boston Consulting Group. And uh, looking at the lifespan, women live an average of five years longer than men do. And this is according to the World Health Organization. So that translates to more than 18 trillion years of potential wealth creation globally. So I will end my last point, uh, I should say my first point, (laughs) with a tagline from uh, Mastercard Global, and it reads, women are catalysts for growth, innovation, and social changes, and they are key to unlocking stronger, more sustainable economies. Now, point two. For this point, I will refer to facts and figures from the um, UN women, and I hope I'm not boring you with stats, but they number tell tell a story so the un women is a united nation entity dedicated to gender equality and to the empowerment of women it is a global champion for women and girls with which was established to accelerate progress on meeting women's needs um, globally so the economic and social imperatives for women's economic empowerment is clear, okay? Greater gender equality boosts economic growth and leads to better development outcomes. It contributes to reducing income inequality and also boosting economic diversification, which in turn supports economic resilience. So, What are the benefits of economic empowerment for women? There are many. And I will start with with women's rights and gender equality, which I have spoken about in several of my shows. That's a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. So women's economic empowerment is central to um, realizing women's rights and gender equality, okay? Women economic empowerment includes women's ability to participate equally in existing market, okay? The access to and control over productive resources, access to decent work, um, control over their own time, their lives, their bodies, and an increased voice and meaningful participation in economic decision-making at all levels from the household to the international institutions. Okay, so empowering women in the economy and closing um, gender gap in the world of work are key to achieving the UN 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development, for which one of the main aims is to achieve gender equality 
promote full and productive employment and decent work for all. So when more women work, economies grow. So women's economic empowerment boosts productivity um, increases. Um, and also um, it's really um, how to say that um, has positive outcome um, on the economic period. So increasing women and girls' educational achievement contributes to women economic empowerment as well and more exclusive in a more inclusive economic growth. So education, right? Upskilling and reskilling over the life course, especially to keep pace with the rapid technological and digital pace, um, or to, I should say transformation uh, affecting jobs are critical for women and girls' income generation opportunities and participation in the formal labor market. So while increased educational achievement accounts for about 50% of the economic growth in OECD countries over the past 50 years, the majority of women significant gains in education have not translated in better labor market outcomes, okay? So the UN is working really diligently at, at correcting that anomaly. Women's economic equality is good for business, okay? Company greatly benefit from increasing employment and leadership opportunity for women, which by the way, is shown to increase organizational effectiveness and growth. So it is estimated that companies with three or more women in senior management functions score higher in all dimensions of organizational performance. So uh, last but not least, uh, in my, uh, uh, my, my third point, uh, I want to talk about COVID-19 and its economic toll on women. The COVID-19 pandemic has triggered a massive global economic downturn and shaken physical and financial well-being for men. Okay, so while the pandemic economy, uh, economic impacts know no boundaries, okay, it doesn't discriminate, statistics show that the financial hits are unduly affecting working women, particularly women of color. So if you recall last year, right, in a matter of months, the coronavirus triggered a period of financial shock for women in the global labor force. The economic implication of the virus continued to erode the decades of progress that began in the late 50s. Back then, the percentage of women aged 16 and older who were either working or actively seeking employment was only 37%. And in the years that followed, the participation rate for women began a steady climb, peaking at the end of the 20th century. It, I believe it grew uh, 20% as I, uh, between uh, 1980 and 2008 and stood at roughly 57.3% 
before the pandemic started last year. So let's say that the impact of crisis are never gender neutral and COVID-19 is no exception. So for countless women in economies of every size, along with losing income, unpaid care and domestic work burden became a reality. Okay, so while everyone is facing unprecedented challenges, women are bearing the brunt of the economic and social fallout of COVID-19. As noted in previous shows, for the last 20 years, extreme poverty globally have been declining, okay? Then came COVID-19, and with it, massive job losses, shrinking of economies, and loss of livelihood, particularly for women. So reduced social protection system have left many of the poorest in society unprotected, with no safeguard to weather the storm. Um, recently a released report shows that the pandemic will push 96 million people into extreme poverty by the end of 2021. 47 million of whom are women and girls. So this will bring the total number of women and girls living on $1.90 or less to 435 million in this world, okay? So the pandemic-induced poverty surge will also widen gender gap, poverty, the, the, the gender poverty gap, meaning that more women will be pushed into extreme poverty than men. This is especially the case among those aged 25 to 30. Okay, so at the height of their productive and family formation period, right? 25 to 34. So at the end of 2021, it is expected that there will be 118 women, 118, 118 women aged 25 to 34 in extreme poverty for every 100 men of the same age, okay? And the ratio could rise to 121 poor women for every 100 poor men by 2030. So the resurgence of extreme poverty as a result of the pandemic has revealed women's precarious economic security. So let's say that the consequences will outlast the pandemic as they will not disappear when the pandemic subsides. And as a result, women are likely to experience long-term setback in workforce participation and income, right? And impacts on pension and savings will have implications for women's economic security far down the road as well, because they live longer than men, they make less money than men, they will be out of a job, so unable to participate in a pension plan, okay? So I am going to wind down and sum it up. Today I talk about um, uh, women being the real drivers of the global economy. 
I also talk about the benefits of women economic empowerment. Uh, I talk about COVID-19 and its economic toll on women. And I'm going to leave you with these last thoughts. So the U.S. economy will not operate at its full potential unless government and employers remove impediment to full participation by women in the labor market. The failure to address structural problems in labor market, tax and employment policy that women face does more than hold back their careers and aspiration for a better life. In fact, barriers to participation by women also act as brakes on the national economy, stifling the economy's ability to grow, okay? So the lives and fortune of women in the workplace affect us all. And as far as the pandemic is concerned, even when the employment outlook for women was good, many found them themselves in low wage, undervalued position, or settling for part-time jobs so they could care for children, right? And the pandemic has exacerbated the challenges women have always faced when it comes to representation in the US, in the US workforce. And its effects are likely to last for years to come. So let me grab a drink. Before I forget, let me share my contact information. You can reach me by sending me an email at mj at mariejocesar.com or by sending me a direct message via Messenger. And as you know, I like to end the show with a quote or a say from somebody. And today I selected one from Michael Thomas, a professor at the University of Georgia, and it reads, if we don't have women who are thriving, then ultimately we don't have children who are thriving. If we don't have children who are thriving, then we don't have a thriving nation, a thriving community, or a thriving society. So for more information about how to achieve financial wellness and live a purposeful life with the money you have, join me next week, Thursday, at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 9 p.m. Atlantic Standard Time for my Bermuda people over there, and 10 a.m. Friday, Brisbane, Australia time. I will be hosting Anisha Hart. She's an estate lawyer uh, from Washington State. So make sure to listen in. She will be talking about estate planning. Thank you for being here today on the Merging Life and Money Show. I am your host, Marie-Jo César. I will be back again next week. Until then, continue merging life and money. Bye for now.